Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is Wendy Steinle. Wendy is the CMO at Domo. Now, one of the things she said within our talk is that people buy from people they trust. And I absolutely love that. And she ties that to the need to have a really strong content strategy, one that is relevant and connects with people no matter what stage they are in the buyer journey. And she provides this persona-based buyer journey map for your content strategy in today's episode. She also talks about her journey to becoming a CMO. And there's some amazing stops in Wendy's career. She's been CMO at Degreed before this. She had a six year plus run at Adobe, a 12 year run at Novell, as well as some other great defining stops that have turned her into this really well-rounded marketer. And she describes the importance of having that well-rounded set of experiences to live at the CMO role, to live and work alongside your sales counterparts and all the other matrix work that needs to happen to make a business at the size and scale of Domo. This is a company doing over 300 million in revenue with over a thousand employees and 2,500 customers. A great episode. Here's our chat. Wendy, welcome to the podcast. I have been very excited for this episode because I've been a big fan of Domo and even just checking out your career, such amazing stops at companies like Adobe, uh, Novell, where we know people uh, you know, together who, who brought us together onto this podcast. But let's go back to the, the origins of your passion for marketing. Where did it come from? You know, that's that goes so far back because when, um, like what just popped in my mind is this writing book I had in first grade. You know, it was like the manila paper stapled together. It said Wendy Steinley on the front <laughs> and I got to draw a picture. And those were where I put my first stories. And I always loved to write. And, um, you know, then, it, and I was like in AP English in high school. And then in college, I wrote for the school newspaper. Um, and I really wanted to be a journalist. And then it kind of evolved from there. But just I feel like words have always been my bare metal. Interesting. Now, I want to ultimately just tell people where you are today, which is at Domo, which is a massive organization. Uh, this is a company with you know roughly a thousand employees. Uh, you've got a marketing team over 50. You've got quite a few hundred million dollars of revenue every year. So as important as stories are, we'll often hear more about the importance of being able to measure. Where did that transition happen? Or do you believe that's a transition needed as a marketing leader? Can you be the storyteller as a CMO? You know, absolutely. The, the, and I think what your question was about was kind of the, the mix of the art and science, right? The words plus the data or, in, you know, words is a very like small way of explaining the whole science of marketing. But when I was early in my career, I remember kind of feeling like numbers scared me. And I felt like that was going to be a blocker for me. And I just went and signed up and got an MBA, um, University of Utah, because I lived in Utah because I was a skier. And I just thought I need to tackle this numbers thing, 
even though it wasn't in my core. And I'm so glad I did because that set me on a journey that I can directly tie to where I am today. And I think it's because I was able to marry up my love for the words and the human interactions with the science of it and and really tying back the work of marketing to the business objectives. Well, it's interesting you say that because if I pull up Domo's About Us, that one-liner talks all about putting data to work. And as as you say there so eloquently, I mean, the ability to tell a story needs to weave in with the data and understanding if those stories are ultimately working. Where did you, if you look back in your career, where did you start to see the impact of the stories and those words that you were putting on paper and how they were moving the needle? What was the the environment that gave you the opportunity to prove that the most? You know, I think that early on, my, my first real marketing job, I was a marketing coordinator for American Express and their Smart Card Center of Excellence. This was back when we were testing, you know, the the chips that are on cards that we all have today. This was this was before those were launched. And, you know, we were doing these pilots with like the US Marine Corps. Um, American Airlines, and had to explain this completely foreign concept of technology on your credit card and how to use it and why it would help you. And in talking to prospective kind of the the, the pilot partners about what their customers' um, current mindset was, it, it really helped me distill that idea of, okay, current state, desired future state, and then figuring out what's that path we as the marketers need to lay out to help people go from their current understanding to the thing we want them to understand. And then how did I put that into the materials to just explain what this smart card thing was for? And it was really interesting to be able to be so at the bare grassroots of introducing something completely new to people and, and to be able to um, be so close with them that we got a lot of feedback so that we could tune it for the next pilot. And that was a really interesting experience for me in understanding the criticality of plain speak. You know, because this was back in an age when so many companies, you know, spoke in this sort of very formal tone. You know, and I can remember that the shift if anybody's been around for maybe 15 or 20 years, you can remember the shift when all of a sudden on websites or, you know, any other interaction, the the language got friendlier. And I think that things started to become more human as we recognize that people respond to things that are more human and it's easier to understand things that are more human. And that really became part of my DNA as a marketer. You know, that how do you speak? Because people buy from people they trust. And how do you show up? How do you make your thing, your marketing or your company show up almost like a trusted human? So I'm curious, looking back on some key moments in your career, one being at Novell, where you oversaw product marketing, another at Adobe, where you oversaw more of that content and perhaps storytelling, this point of being able to be more human. Do you think that that's something that is naturally driven more by the product marketing group or the content marketing group? Where does that, where does that get established in your mind? You know, it's interesting you ask that because I've had a lot of different roles. If you look at my journey where 
um, you know, I was over product marketing. And then um, after I left Novell, and I did other things at Novell too, kind of more in the advertising, social, and all those, a lot of other things. But then I went into the agency realm doing work for other people and then over to Adobe. And in each of those places, I had a different level of job and none of them were CMO. But in all cases, I put together a marketing strategy that went back to the human element. This idea of people buy from people they trust is part of my zen. And I've brought that strategy everywhere I've gone at every level I've been in for at least the last 15 years. And it has been a game changer. I think that it needs to come from just, first of all, it should come from anyone because good ideas can come from anywhere. And then, you know, if you can communicate it right and then how that would show up, it, it hopefully is something that gets adopted across lines. But it's also always best if at the, the CMO level, there is a strategy that has to do, it's, it's kind of beyond brand identity because brand identity does say things like tone and how we speak and all that, but it's also important for it to be baked into the marketing strategy in terms of you know, how are you going to approach people? And, you know, what role do, does the tone and the how you speak and sort of how you show up as a trusted individual, you know, how does that play? Because, you know, in, in my, in, in our marketing team here, we have really fascinating conversations about that line of people buy from people they trust. We say, how does that show up? in each and every person's role. Like, what does that mean to you and how do you bring that to life? And so just by having some anchor in your strategy around that human approach is going to create a fabulous body of strategically connected content, strategically connected activities, you know, and they're all gonna be authentic and make sense um, in a very human way if it's just stated at the strategic level. I like how you brought that to modern day, being the CMO now, and as you said, bringing these ideas of overseeing whether it's social strategy or content strategy or product marketing strategy. And and when you think about that today, back to the the question I I asked you at at maybe individual points, it sounds like that's always been the case. So now, who is part of your group that helps to determine how do you identify that human element, like a domo? What is that human element and who is who is surfacing that for you to be able to define that strategy on a go forward basis? Is it your content leader? Is it your product marketing leader? Or is this a offsite experience for you and those leaders? No, it's definitely amongst all of us. And, you know, it starts with a conversation at our MLT table, marketing leadership team, about what does this mean? How does it show up? And then it trickles down to teams there. And um, our director of content strategy has been a real, really important person in helping to take that idea and show what that means in words. Like you were just mentioning the message you saw on our website, which is, you know, Delma is a data experience platform innovator that puts data to work for everyone so people can multiply their impact on the business. And, you know, she took it from there and started showing different ways to explain, you know, the how, because a lot of times people would kind of um, recycle older messaging. And that's always like the best place to go to look to sort of 
refresh your words if your your messaging strategy has changed. And the the director of content strategy is at Domo has been really important to helping us show how that human speak can really look. And and you know the beauty of it is it always ends up tightening the message in addition to making it more relatable. I love that. I, I think the the idea of tightening to me goes hand in hand with the alignment. And as you describe all these different areas of marketing and the marketing leadership team and then you know the different opportunities that you've had, getting everyone to speak the same language is as you're really yeah. coming back to, you know, put the same words on paper is so important. Wendy, we're gonna take a quick break here. We'll continue down this conversation of the buyer journey right after this break. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. Wendy's hitting on the importance of consistent messaging in your organization. And no matter what the scale, whether you're 30 people or a thousand people, like you're hearing from Wendy, it's important to unite everyone around, not just a consistent message, but consistent assets, consistent content. The same story put out in market by many people is gonna have a much stronger effect. And I always say the risk otherwise is we end up with this broken telephone syndrome, where one rep, as an example, goes out with a deck, and then next rep iterates on that deck. And as much as we want that, we need controls. We need people to align to the same story so that what is out in the market is the same thing you are trying to build as a CMO or build as part of the marketing organization. What we see on G2 as a review should reflect the vision that we're putting forward into the market. Do a test, take a look at what your vision is and what is pulsing through your organization to make sure it unites. Wendy, before we took a break, you were talking about connecting with people in a human way. And I think the idea of people buying from people, uh, the question is, are people buying from your brand or people buying from your sales reps? And how do you make it relatable through the content you put in front of people? How do you adapt, if you will, the salesperson to be relatable to your buyer? Yeah, that's such a good question because I think you know, when I think about especially the content and how we use content to play out that strategy of people buy from people they trust. And then, uh, you know, there's there's content that we put out through our website or through our marketing, outbound marketing activities. And then there's the sales enablement content, the stuff that you would give the sellers that they're going to present, you know, through their own voice. And that always, all of a sudden, you've magnified your message times however many people you have on your sales team, right? And there's no way they're all going to say it the same way. So I think that 
the first thing that we've done here, and, and this is still a, a process, right? Because we've recently updated our messaging and, you know, I brought in this strategy, um, I don't know, six months ago or so. So we're on a journey to really have it, it trickle down through the entire experience. But it starts with sharing that strategy. So for instance, on stage at our global sales conference, I shared the strategy and explained what it means that our approach is people buy from people they trust and that we want, you know, to create conversations between people and make it all very human. And so, you know, the first thing is to declare that to everyone who might be part of sharing your message so that they go, oh, okay. And then you're basically asking all of them to think through what does that mean for them and how they speak, right? It's It also feeds back to good to, to great product marketing strategy, which is like, it shouldn't even be called product marketing, right? Because that's this idea of I'm going to put my product on a platter and tell everybody about my product. And that's not the way you get people interested in your product. <laughs> the way you get people interested is to first show that you understand them, right? That you've been listening to them and that you have something that addresses something that's important to them. Then you get them curious right? And then you can do some things to get them more curious. And then you can, at the right time in the journey, talk to them about why your product will help them. So I, I you started to nail exactly what I'm, I'm curious about, which is how do you start to, to create change within the organization? And, you know, Domo is a massive success, uh, you know, over 300 million in revenue, which I said earlier. So it's not as though you're coming into a new early stage startup and trying to figure out what that tone is and what the stories are. And you said yourself that the goal is introduce this at a kickoff and let it trickle down. But I'm curious, what are some of the, the key areas of content strategy that you felt were important to start to create that shift? Because I'm sure you have a lot of salespeople who are just going to the collateral that's been sitting on their desktop for, you know, for the last five years, uh, going back to it because they know it. And how do you, how do you push them to shift and start to use new content and new storylines? The first thing is, is that I'm a full journey marketer. And so our marketing team has adopted that as well. And let me tell you what I mean by that, right? It's that um, the the journey is, you know, build brand. And, and this is from the company's perspective. There's, there's a way to say this from the customer's perspective too, but basically it's build brand, feed the funnel, accelerate the close, drive adoption and advocacy, support retention and upsell, right? And then that is, you know, gets you your full circle. And so our content strategy looks at each of those stages. It then has, um, you know, across the rows, basically looking at the personas, you know, which personas are more or less involved at each stage of that journey because it's not equal. And then what is the question each of them needs answered at each stage of that journey? And then we look at what kinds of formats and channels does that persona respond to at each stage of the journey. And then you can basically figure out what content do we need in what format, in what channel at each stage to serve each stage of the journey. And then you can go do a gap analysis of what do we have today? Where are the gaps out of the things we have? What needs to be updated? You know, so you come up with a very strategic content strategy framework that is aligned to the journey 
and recognizes the fact that it's our job to help our prospects travel through that full journey to become customers and then help customers travel through the journey again to, you know, retain and grow and realize more value from their their time and investment with us. And so in that way, we start to then also go back and look at the data of where are we strong and where do we have gaps in the um, kind of the throughput of our funnel or the throughput of the journey. And then by kind of marrying the two, you can say, oh, well, say we're having a slowdown in the cycle time of sales stage three to five. All right, well, where is that in the journey and what kind of content is going to help us, um, you know, propel that part of the buyer journey? And like, for instance, the kind of content you would need there is like ROI content, uh, maybe competitive comparison, you need more customer stories, you know, there's certain stuff you need. And that's where you can teach sales. And, and the great sellers already know this, but you can tell them, hey, at that stage, here is your content. So basically, you can also then present when you've done all this great strategic work, you can then go present your your content, um, surface it to your sellers and whatever tool you use and show them, hey, this is going to be most helpful in this stage of the journey, right? And teach them when to use it and how. Um, and, and so you can absolutely teach your sellers to use new content, but it's got to be grounded in the why for them. You know, this is its purpose. This is what it's going to help you do you know, and then here are the notes of how to use it. So content strategy is extremely integral to driving the sales process successfully. I, I love that entire walkthrough that you gave beginning with the different stages of the journey and how you define them, how you evaluate. And and is it fair to me for me to assume if I look back on this and you, and you described continuing to iterate and looking at the gaps but when you first get started, you know, and again, in your case, you're joining a company that's got history. Is that where you started at looking at those, you know, defining the gaps to start with first? Because I imagine there's a lot of content in place. And before we go and can fix all the content at every stage, was it where is the team raising their hand or, or where is the data showing that you have the biggest slowdowns or the biggest opportunity for improvement? You know, when I came in, the first thing I did was I talked to as many people as I could. I probably had about 75 one-on-ones and, and I asked everybody what's working well, what needs work, and what, if any, recommendations would you give me? And then I did an actual survey with those same questions to the whole marketing org. And then I brought it back and sorted it from a data perspective so I could say, hey, 45% of you say this is the top thing that needs work and so on. So you know, I was able to distill across functions what people thought the opportunities and gaps were, you know, and again, that was talking to product org people, CS, sales, you know, finance, everybody pretty much. And when people share with you what a gap or a challenge is, usually it either goes back to um, a gap in serving that buyer journey strategically, or it goes back to sort of organizational roadblocks that can be smoothed out with sort of better collaboration and open communication. And and listen, I've never actually said those two things before. I just made that up on the fly, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that 
based on the feedback I got, it mostly fell into those categories, right? Of like, we need to do this better or this isn't working. You know, by by getting that feedback from people, that was a great starter for where do we need to um, look at some things. And, and then from there, I went and looked at, all right, well, what shared structures and frameworks do we have so that everyone can be unified in what they're doing. When I started a new role, what I generally found is a lot of the opportunities for improvement go back to the fact that there is no shared unified strategy, plan, you know, framework, and people need that in order to have the actual freedom to do their best work that will hang together in a way that moves the needle for the business. You know, because otherwise what people are left to do is sort of random acts of very good marketing, but they're random acts and they're, they're coming out of silos and they're not necessarily delivering on the opportunity if everyone hung together. You know, that, that's where I saw an opportunity to bring everyone together and create these unified frameworks and strategies and, and people have really appreciated having that clarity and it's, it's had the benefit of not only giving us better direction and prioritization, but also making everyone feel like we're elevating ourselves as a unified marketing team. And that helps everyone feel like they are learning and growing and able, better able to do their best work. I love that. Really well put. And, you know, it's exciting to think that you're still within the first year at Domo. Uh, I'm sure that you're you're still just planting seeds towards this change and unification that you're describing. So I'm, I'm excited just to keep watching the marketing efforts and, and message come out from the company. We're going to take one more quick break here. We'll be back with Wendy and we'll hit her with some really quick rapid fire questions before we wrap up for the day. Wendy has provided us a very simple way to think about the buyer journey and one that too many of us just don't get to because we get caught in creating that next piece of content versus as she described, identifying where those gaps might lie. Now start with something as simple as a spreadsheet to bring this to life. In fact, I went a little bit further and I actually created a tool inside of Airtable. I call it the go-to-market matrix. If you ever want to check it out, go to hub.uberflip.com slash the dash GTM dash matrix. I know that's a lot to take in. You go there, you'll see a whole bunch of really cool ways that I built something really functional to allow my team and some other teams have used this too, to outline the content they have and match it to the right buyer at the right time. At the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. We want to deliver relevant content to buyers. That's all they want. And our ability to match content to the channel and the buyer will help us connect at a more deep way across the journey. Wendy, we've already gotten so much from you in terms of how you think strategically, in terms of how you became a CMO. And I'm curious what advice you have for the next person who wants to be a CMO. Is there a certain skill set that you got to gather during your experiences at Novell and Adobe and other locations that you would say to someone, take this route to being a CMO? First, I think that there are so many different paths to be a CMO. And and in the times that I've been kind of in the interviewing, um, you know, 
part of my journey, I've found that if you talk to each different company, some of them need something different from a CMO, depending on where they're at in their own development. So I don't think there's only one formula to be a great CMO, but I can tell you what I feel like worked for me and helped me stand out. And, you know, the feedback I got from people who've hired me, um, you know, is, is that they really felt like I was the best, most well-rounded person with my different types of marketing experiences. You know, I, I came up as a marketer really through product marketing. So I was very close to product and, and the business management team. And, you know, then I, I passed through sort of the comms and bringing comms in and global campaigns. And then, you know, I had a, a period of working on the agency side where I really dove into advertising and web stuff. Um, and then, you know, I had uh, go-to-market strategy, content strategy, website, and, you know, competitive center of excellence. And then I even had a period where I ran the post-purchase, you know, customer kind of onboarding portal at Adobe, which was another fantastic experience that wasn't necessarily on a certain journey. But when you put all of that together, that gives me great, you know, cross-functional understanding of how the business really works. And so that has been part of my, you know, that that's part of my DNA, I think, that makes me really ask good questions and be a, a good collaborative partner cross-functionally. And I do find that what I hear from people who really appreciate my leadership is that they feel like I understand the business, that I'm a supportive partner, you know, that we that that we have a great open relationship and partnership between, say, marketing and sales. And and a lot of companies have more contention between the two. And it's okay to have like healthy tension, but I think it's helpful if the marketing leader and the sales leader recognize that they're in this together. And it's, you know, from my perspective, it's not even just that, hey, I own the top of the funnel. There's so much that has to be collaborated with with sales. And then even once we pass off, you know, something into pipeline, there are pieces that marketing should be responsible for to help drive that success. So I, you know, from my perspective, it's, it's bringing a well-rounded understanding staying focused on the business objectives first, understanding marketing's direct role and collaborative role, and then leading your team in a way that they see you being um, a collaborative partner so that they recognize they also need to do that and find who are their stakeholders and go make sure they're having the right open communication with those people. I, I love that answer. I think it hits so much on the the role of communication and leadership over specific marketing skills, which is really that big step that one must take when when becoming a CMO. I, I want to. I have one more question before you before the hard one. I ask every every uh, guest, and and I and that comes back to content. We got to talk a lot about content today, which I really appreciated, and and I enjoyed your framework and strategy, which speaks also to the the well-rounded mindset of thinking of every single stage. And, and when you, when I heard you describe that, I also thought about this idea of make it relevant, make it, you know, almost personalized. And, and I'm wondering what that means to you today. I mean, this idea of right content at the right stage you hit on, but how do we make content feel as personalized as we expect in our consumer lives? I think personalization is such an interesting topic because research shows that people respond to things 
better that have some awareness of who they are and what they care about. There's also a creepy factor, right, that you have to avoid, right? You can't go too deep on personalization. And some personalization is meaningless. Like if you get an email from your bank that says, happy birthday, Wendy, and I'm like, that is creepy. Um, <laughs> so I think that the personalization that matters is, you know, again, go back to people buy from people they trust, or that's what I would do. And and I would think about what kind of personalization would would help that prospect or that customer feel like, hey, that's useful and meaningful to me. You're you're making good use of my time. You're respecting my intelligence. And you're talking to me about something that I actually care about now, right? So the best personalization is going to look at all the triggers and signals you can to respond in a very humanly productive and relevant way, as opposed to sort of personalization that's just throwing out stuff you happen to know. I think that's really well put. And you know, if we can accomplish that and avoid that creep factor, people without a doubt are going to lean in no matter what stage they may be at. So we've got time for that one last question. And that, that comes down to, you know, helping us understand how you find balance. How do you balance the, you know, the role of a CMO of a company with a global footprint? Uh, I'm sure there's, you know, needs coming in at all hours of the day, but how do you step back and make time for yourself? You know, I recognize that I do my best work when I have been able to make time for my own fitness and my own kind of alone activities to clear my head outside. I'm an outdoorsy person. And also, of course, that I'm giving my family what they need. And listen, I don't always get it right. Um, but my favorite thing to do, honestly, I moved to Utah to ski and I love to ski. I actually started by leading ski tours at Deer Valley for a winter, but my favorite thing has become mountain biking. And I actually just came back from a week of spring break in um, Arkansas, Bentonville, Arkansas. We'll have some tremendous mountain biking trails. And I am so happy when I've got my two wheels under me, I'm on a dirt trail and, you know, it actually takes a lot of balance just to do that. So that's how I get my balance. That's great. I love that. And really hard to look at the phone when you're trying to focus on that balance and focus on those two wheels. So I think I think that's great advice. Find something to allow you to disconnect and keep busy and keep your mind focused. Uh, this has been so much fun, Wendy. I can't thank you enough. If you're tuning in and hearing Wendy's episode as your first on the marketer's journey, check out all the other great CMOs who have joined us. Everyone's journey, everyone's path is a little bit unique. And you heard Wendy say it herself. There's not one path to getting here. I hope whatever yours is, one day you're on here to share it. Until next time, thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.